Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. Good morning. Today we're going to be in John 15. You can uh, go ahead and open up your Bible there. Um, Before we get started in that, I want to give just a a brief um, a brief summary so that you can understand the context of where we're at in the uh, the history of the life of Christ and His teaching in this world. So in in John chapter twelve, Jesus was anointed with oil, and a woman came and, and dumped a whole bottle of oil on him and wiped it with his hair. And shortly after that, he made what is typically referred to as the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He, he rode on a donkey into Jerusalem, the city where he would end up being uh, tried and crucified. And as he went in, those who recognized him as Lord coming from God, they threw branches on the ground and they worshipped him as such. Chapters 13 through 16 is called the Upper Room Discourse, and it is the fullest biblical record of the conversation, the teaching, the, the, the discourse between Jesus and his disciples, those who he spent his time and energy with when he was on this earth in, in personal teaching and ministry. And directly after that, chapter 17 is the High Priestly Prayer, where Jesus once again prayed to his Father as our perfect example and as a a submissive servant to his Father. He prayed, prayed for himself, for his ministry, for the disciples he was leaving there to minister after he passed away, and for all of the saints who would ever be redeemed through his blood. And then chapter 18 is he led his disciples into the garden where he again prayed and he was arrested by soldiers and he was tried by men and he was crucified on a cross not for his sins but for ours. So today in chapter 15 we're we're in the middle of that discourse, the, the conversation that he was having with his disciples after 33 years of life on this earth and three years of public ministry He was wrapping up that teaching with those he had charged to carry his teachings to the rest of the world for the rest of time. And he had some encouragement and guidance for them. As he was spending his last night on earth in a physical body, he was teaching and he was praying and he was expressing to his disciples how important it would be for them to stay connected to him. And he gave them the connections to do that. He said, it's through my teaching, through his word, and through prayer. So he was encouraging them, knowing that they were going to face fear, opposition, and martyrdom in the years to come. And he said, this is is how you stay strong. You stay strong with your relationship with me in the word and with your, your connection with God through prayer. He was telling them that that the joy and the love that they shared with him during his earthly ministry would wither and die if they didn't stay connected to him. So he was encouraging that relationship. 
I'm going to back up for just a second to before the creation of the world. And I want you to, to think about God and his intentional design of all things. He, before the world was created, had a plan and had a design for all things. And in that design, he created materials and objects and situations that are common and easily recognized for all people of all time and all cultures. And throughout the course of time, as the Holy Spirit wrote the Word of God through men, God used those things, those symbols, the things that are easily recognized, the imagery to help us understand theological truths. So as we read this passage in John 15, we're going to see how God used symbolism and visual imagery to help us understand both temporal and eternal realities. In this passage, we're going to read 1 through, 1 through 17. Jesus uses a vine and its branches and fruit to help us understand our need for him, our benefit of being united with him, and what our responsibilities are to him in that relationship. I certainly can't talk about all that is mentioned in these 17 verses, but we have to get to verse 11 and to verse 17 to understand verse 2 and verse 4. Remember, this is, it's just a small portion of a much larger conversation. So um, keep in mind that, that verses 11 and 17 are, are key points in this text that, um, that are foundational to our understanding in it. So if, if you would, uh, read along as, as I read this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me and he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, in my words, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be with you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask, 
the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us this gift, for allowing us to connect with you through the truth, for allowing us to see you, to learn about you, to study you, to know you, not just about what you've done, but who you are. Lord, show us your nature today. Show us your truth. Show us the person of God, the spirit of God. Show us the person of Christ and help us to be further united with him. Lord, if there was someone here who is not united, may you work through your spirit and your word to make that connection. We come to you to study you and to worship you and to praise you. Help us, Lord. Give us knowledge and wisdom and understanding. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage starts off with Jesus saying, I am the true vine. He is the only vine, the true vine. There is only one, and it is Jesus Christ. In symbolism, the vine is the source of life for the branches, which are the structures that when they are nurtured and properly supplied for, they can produce fruit. God the Father is called as the vine dresser. He is the caretaker of the vine. He is um, the one who, who not just prunes it, but protects it. God chooses according to his will to nourish branches through the vine, to protect branches through the vine, to manipulate branches, or to remove branches. In this passage, Jesus calls out two different types of branches. One type symbolizes the unrepentant sinner, and one type represents a redeemed saint. The branches that cut off and wither to ground are the unrepentant sinners, These may be people who are openly rebellious, consciously indifferent, or perhaps spiritually misled. These branches are attached to the vine, and they receive nourishment for their physical body, sustains their physical life, but they refuse the spiritual nourishment so they do not produce fruit. Among these are the people who talk the talk but do not walk the walk. They look like they're a part of the vine, they're attached to the vine, but they do not bear fruit in keeping with repentance. These are people who have professed faith, but have not repented and do not turn away from their sins. They are those who are not truly submitted to Christ. They haven't looked at him as the Lord of their life, and the blood of Christ has not washed them clean, so they, they have not fully given up the world, and committed to Christ. They are not saved from eternal condemnation, and at the end of, end of days, at the judgment, they will be gathered up and thrown into the fire and burned for all eternity. The Spirit of God searches the hearts and minds of people. He knows the truth. He knows who are His. He knows who are redeemed. I pray today that you also know and are confident in your true redemption. The second type of branch is the one that is fully grafted into Christ. They're regenerate souls who have repented of their sins and have active faith in Jesus Christ because he paid the price for their sins on the cross. 
Here in John 15, Jesus is speaking directly to his true disciples, to those who he walked with on this earth, who he taught personally, verbally, physically in the same place, and he clarifies their identity to him in verse 3. He says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You're clean because I said so. I have the authority and the power because I am the Son of God and I have made you clean. Look again at verse 16. It says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. In this, in this whole passage, Jesus is clarifying and identifying and describing who the true branches are and who are not. The disciples that Jesus was speaking directly to as well of all the saints from all time, are the redeemed, those who endure to the end, those who have um, real faith as Christ and their Savior. They're the true branches. There is a, a, an important theological reality that is, it's not introduced and it's not hidden here, and I, I, wanna, I don't want to talk about it, but I do want to mention it. Jesus Christ is in the upper room the day before he dies with his disciples and he said, you're already clean of the blood that I have not shed until tomorrow. If you don't understand how the promise of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension saved the sinners that lived before that, I'd love to have that conversation with you. There's a couple pastors here that would love to have that conversation. It is... It's something that, that hides just below the surface of this passage, so I wanted to bring it up just in case you haven't thought of it or if you have questions, please bring, it, bring those up. Now, notice at the end of verse 2, Jesus makes a promise. He makes a promise to those who are united with him, and he said, you will be pruned by the Father. The Bible's chocked full of declarations of promises of, of God or Jesus or one of their prophets saying that these things will happen. This is going to happen. You can count on this. And some of them are, are fantastic about our future with Christ in eternity or the complete despair that happens in hell for those who are away from Christ. But there's so many of these that are promises that, that happen in time that we can latch onto and we can say, God said that was going to happen, and I just saw it. It is a way for us to confirm our faith and us to be strengthened in our faith when we watch God do what he says he's going to do. And so Jesus here is telling them, he's telling his disciples that you're going to be pruned for the glory of God to be more productive. As we recognize more of God's written promises and we witness more of God's fulfilled promises, we need to latch on to those and we, we, need to, we need to be strengthened because of those. God is faithful to his word. He's faithful to his, himself and his nature. And in that, we can have confidence. Through this pruning, change is brought on us, in us, from our perfect Father who knows our innermost thoughts and desires and he wants to change us from what we were and move us on towards what we will one day be that which will be perfected when Christ comes again 
That is progressive sanctification. It is the process in between our initial sanctification, which is the moment of our salvation, and the second coming of Christ. Well, it's actually in between our bodily death. Um, so, so that period, the period that Christians in this room that we're in right now, we're in or should be in a process of progressive sanctification. Our final and complete sanctification comes when Christ comes and we get to realize God's promises that he's given us of our eternal presence with him in paradise. So for those that are in the room who are saved and currently in the progressive sanctification stage, um, let's consider this vine analogy. A hatchet slicing off a branch and removing it from the vine. It causes damage. It exposes what's on the inside. There is a wound created that needs to be healed. So there's only one God, one way to heal that wound. It is through our growth in him or it is through when the unrepentant sinner falls to the ground and withers and dies. This pruning, this intentional act of God is where we can see ourselves as he sees us. When he, when he does that little snip, that adjustment, that manipulation, then we go, oh, right. Your word said this and you showed this to me and now I see it. So we are blessed with an opportunity to see us how God sees us and that should create change in us. When this happens, when the Almighty loves you enough to reach down and, and to manipulate you, to change you, to, to pluck off that which is unneeded, which is unnecessary, which is weighing you down and holding you back from a closer relationship with him, you have to make a choice. You can passively ignore him, you can openly reject him, or you can willfully submit to him. These are choices you make that determine the effectiveness of your Christian witness in this world and the level of relational intimacy that you will have with your Savior. How do you choose one of these three options is answered by this question. Who or what do you desire most? Who or what holds the number one spot in your life? A material item that he produced? A situation that you can't control, an imperfect representation of God or the internal God himself. Stuff, worldly circumstances, a person or God. A material item that he produced, a situation that you can't control, an imperfect representation of God or God himself. What do you desire most? Every choice we make is based on what we desire most. Either we desire to follow and please God, or we desire something of the world more. I understand that there's nuances here, and this may seem a little oversimplified, but it's a a thought that is worthy of your consideration. We're going to turn to uh, Philippians chapter 3. Keep keep your finger here, because we're... We're going to spend the the rest of the time in John, but um, there's a passage in Philippians chapter 3. It is verses 8 through 10. And it is Paul 
the last apostle of Christ pouring out his heart to us so that we can understand who he is and how he was impacted in his relationship with Christ. In verse 8 he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul was sanctified in the truth more than most, certainly more than me. He was the, one of the main human authors of the New Testament. So while we should not idolize men in this world or apostles or disciples, there are men who have, and women who have went before us who are great godly examples and we can watch them and see what they're doing and some of them lived in biblical times and some of them are right here in this room. So I encourage you, find the godly men and the, and the godly women in your church and watch them. Watch the Lord change them. Watch what happens when they're proved, when they go through a struggle or a trial and the Lord exposes something in them and see how they react because a, a, a godly man or a godly woman will react in submission to God and it will change something in their life. Great gain often comes from great effort. Pain, sacrifice, the world knows this, the secular world knows this. Athletes and CEOs, they... They give speeches and they talk about this all the time. You just got to work harder and you got to do more and you got to do this and you got to sacrifice. Yeah, but no. Because without the hand of God acting in your life, there will be no eternal gain. There will be no fruit that grows that is representative of the goodness of God. Yes, we need to strive and we need to work and we need to sacrifice and we need to be attached to the vine because if we're not being nurtured by Christ, then all that work and all that effort will be a failure. Look at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is divine guidance from Jesus to all his disciples. And this is not only guidance, it's also a command of Jesus. So if we flip back to verse 17, it says, These things I command you so that you will love one another. Remember, this is a long conversation. These commands that Jesus is referring to here, it includes some things that came before what we're talking about today in this passage. And it also includes what's in this passage. So verse 4 has the command, abide in me. And verse 7 tells us how to do that. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We are to abide in his word. If you are not in the word of God daily, you are not abiding in Christ. Abiding in his word is abiding in his will. You want to know what Jesus wants you to do? Abide in my word. 
Abide in my will. Living in his word is living in his will. This is a a reciprocal relationship. When we abide in Christ, through his word, his spirit abides in us, enlightening enlightening his word and bringing us joy as we express our love for him through our commitment to his commands, which are not heavy burdens, but given to us by the architect who designed us. When we follow the rules, not only does life go well for us, but we enjoy life more because we are acting according to our design and our purpose. That's when the Spirit produces fruit in us. When we live in the Word, and Christ lives and dwells in us because we are united with Christ, we're working in tandem, we're together. When His truth and His Spirit are pouring out into us, and we are receiving that spiritual food with a mind and a heart that accepts it, we are grabbing a hold of Christ and drawing near to Him. That is abiding in Christ and Him dwelling in us. When we do this, if we do that, the same time we do that, we also have to stop whoring after things of this world. That's part of the pruning. We have to let go of what we're holding on to on this world so that we can grab a better hold of Christ. Sometimes we have to make hard choices, but when we choose Christ, when we act according to his will and we follow the teachings of his, of his word, then we can have joy. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How do we have joy? Well, we act according to our design and our purpose. And then when we're with Christ and he's with us, then we have true joy. Not just temporary happiness. Joy, that which bubbles up from inside your soul and comes out your mouth and in your actions because it is part of who you are. Your nature changes when Christ saves you. And part of that nature should be having joy in your relationship with him. Back to verse 5, the end of verse 5, Jesus says, apart from me you can do nothing. This is a two-fold statement. There's two meanings in here. The first is we can do nothing physically without him, and we know that because of what the rest of the Bible says. John 1-2 says, Christ created all things. Hebrew 1.3 says, by the power of his word, he sustains us. And Acts 17.28 says, in him we move and breathe and have our being. Our physical lives were created and sustained by Jesus Christ. Our very lives are a gift from God. Are you abiding in him or are you squandering the grace that he constantly pours out to you by intentionally living apart from him and his will for your life. The second meaning in this statement in verse 5, for apart from me you can do nothing, is a spiritual reference. When we're not spiritually attached to the vine, when we're not saved, when we're not being nourished by the goodness of Christ, we cannot bear fruit by ourselves. It can't be done. Initial sanctification comes through God's grace, while progressive sanctification is dependent on two things. Us 
and Christ. Christ working in us. If you want to be free from the clutches of a certain sin or you want to have a better marriage, be a better parent, be a better employee or boss or whatever it might be, read the Word, pray the Word, grow in your faith, and become more knowledgeable about what God made you to be. You cannot win a wrestling match with sin or a weakness in your life if you are not in the Word and connected to God and being fed by Christ. We have responsibilities and we need Christ. Are you missing something in your life? Love, joy, peace, happiness. Are the fruit of the Spirit not being built up in you? Are you wondering why that can't happen? Why you can't make that happen? Well, it's because you can't make it happen. It's a gift of God. The gifts of the Spirit are gifts of the Spirit. So when we work with Him and we abide in Him, then He abides in us and gifts us those things that we truly want. And it's not stuff. It's joy and peace and happiness. It's confidence in our eternal salvation. When we submit to the Lord and He prunes us, it is for our benefit and His glory. Over the course of the last week, as my wife has flipped through the news, I, I, I think it's been maybe half a dozen times she said, ah, oh, another murder-suicide. And this really struck me by the end of the week is there were, there were parents, spouse on spouse, a parent and a child, all these different situations, these horrible, terrible situations where people were absolutely without hope. They had nothing to live for and they acted according to that because they, they didn't have anything to grab onto. They didn't understand what is the purpose of life. Why are we here? What is there to gain? And while these are very dramatic examples of the branch apart from the vine and how it withers and dies, how we have no capacity for life outside of Christ, it is also a, a, a real-life example of why, why worldly reform doesn't work. Why doesn't this program work to do this thing? Well, it's because it's not based on Christ. There's no spiritual nourishment that's coming through that program. It's just of the world, and the world on its own is always going to be a failure. This is why every other religion out there is a lie. Every religion that is not based on the salvation and the nourishment of the Christian for a change in their life and the glory to God, if it is not based on Jesus the Christ, His death, His life, His divinity as the Son of God, that religion is a lie. The intentional design and eternal purpose of creation can be seen all throughout God's Word, and it is in, in this passage right here as well. If we look at verse 11 and verse 16 and verse 17, in the midst of this bigger context, it tells us this. This earthly life is about how we fulfill our Creator's design by obeying His commands, which bring us joy as we love one another when we glorify God and look forward to an eternity with Him. 
my words, not the Bible's, a summation of, of what I've been studying, but according to what I understand of biblical theology and the purpose of life, this earthly life is about how we fulfill our Creator's design by obeying His commands, which bring us joy as we love one another, when we glorify God and look forward to an eternity with Him. Our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Look at verse 9. Here we see another command. It says, abide in my love. Look at verse 10. It's the how do we do that. God doesn't just give us commands and then expect us to go do it without telling us how to do it. He says in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Christ is our perfect example. He did the things that He tells us that we should do and He is the visible example of the fruit, of the benefit, of the blessing that comes when we do that. This is a recurring theme that comes out in, in this discourse here. So let's, let's back up a couple pages, a couple chapters to chapter 13 where Christ is a little bit into this, this teaching discourse where he gives the disciples a new commandment. Chapter 13, verse 34 says, A new commandment I give, you, I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Jesus the, the Christ, the Son of God, loved us completely with all that he was and gave up all that he had or could give up for us. Jesus was a man. The Son of God is eternal. And the Son of God left the eternal dwelling of God in heaven, where, where his glory is manifest the greatest. He left that to be born in a similar fashion as his creation, to be born in the body of mankind, to live a life, to, to face trial and tribulation, to be persecuted, to be beaten, to be mocked and shamed, and to teach us about him, about God, about our life with him, and how we can have joy and peace, and what the purpose is, and how we do it. Christ is always our perfect example. How do we love others as Christ loved us? Look at verse 35. Still in chapter 13, verse 35. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. God is revealed and recognized on this earth through us. When we act like Christians and the Word of God plays out in our lives, the truth of God is displayed to the world. Look ahead in chapter 14. We're going to look at verse 15. And <laughs> Jesus brings it home in this statement right here. It is, It can be, often is, one of the biggest gut punches of Scripture. Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, if you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. Do you love him? Are you abiding in his word? Just because you're not doesn't mean you're not a Christian. But if you love Christ and you're saved by Christ and you're not in his word, then you're negligent. There is something missing in your life and it can be fulfilled when you study his word and you pray. If you are negligent in the word and it's because you're not spiritually attached to Christ, because you're not redeemed, you are the withering branch. You are cut off from all eternity with Christ. And as this mortal death closes in, eternal death is your guarantee. God's word was given to the sinner so that he might be saved from death. And God's word was given to the saint so that we might have joy and love one another as we labor on this earth as sojourners headed to the promised land. Where does your nourishment come from? Does it come from the truth of God and from the lifeblood of Christ? Or does it come from this world? You're either being fed through God's goodness and holiness or you're being fed by the world which is poison and it is killing you. Every single person who has ever lived since Adam sinned in the garden is physically poisoned. It is why we die. It is the corruption of sin. And every single person is spiritually dead because of Adam's sin and because of our sin. We don't get to blame it all on Adam because we are sinners. And unless Christ does a work with us, unless we are supernaturally grafted into the vine, we will physically and spiritually die for all time. The only way to stop being fed by that which kills the body is to be removed from it. We have to be hatcheted off of the world and grafted into Christ and that's where our responsibilities in tandem, in unison with the work of Christ in us provide for our blessedness in this life and our guarantees for the future. This cutting off of the old and being grafted into the new is a painful process supernaturally it only takes an instant, but practically it takes a lifetime. The state of the sinner bound to eternal death turns the promise of eternal life at the moment of our salvation when God regenerates the sinner from death. And at that instance, our identity is changed. Our nature is changed. I love how the Holy Spirit works. The first song we sang, it is our nature it's who I am. I am changed by Christ. I am no longer that. It's not just my identity. It's not just what I look like. Yes, I'm now identified with Christ, but my very nature was changed when Christ saved me. And he's not done yet. If you flip back to, well, I'll just read it real quick. Um, back in Philippians 1.6, Paul, Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We are guaranteed victory through Christ, but that does not exclude us through the, for, from the battles that we will face in this world. We have to strengthen ourselves every day or we will start to wither. 
We can only do that by building ourselves up through God's word and prayer. Not necessarily true. We get built up by others and fellowship and different things, but that's not what I wrote, so it's not what I said. In the here and now, we have a promise from Jesus that we will be pruned by the righteousness, by the righteous work of God as he sanctifies us in this mortal flesh. This pruning brings us closer to the righteousness of Christ. Look what there is to gain as we come closer to the righteousness of Christ. Those who are united with and abiding in Christ are being pruned to be like Him. What are your life goals? Do you want to be perfect in every single thing you ever did? Be more like Christ. Read, pray, study, chase after, the, and submit to the changes that God brings through Christ in your life. The more we submit to those prunings, the more we, we become like Christ. And we need to look past the momentary affliction, past our worldly desires, fix our eyes on the per perfection of Christ. And when we do that, we can have the joy that Jesus talks about in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Christ went to the cross with joy because he knew what was ahead of him. He knew he was, what he was giving his life up for and through all the pain and all the trial and the mocking, he unselfishly gave that up because he knew what he was doing and what he had to look forward to. Do you? Do you have joy in your life because Christ died, because he gave himself up as our perfect example and you know where you're headed. Are you abiding in Christ? We need to persevere in this work. We need to endure. It is a sign to this world that the work of Christ on the cross was manifest in the life of the believer for the glory of God. Look at verse 16 again. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. There is work to be done. God works through Christ in us to, yes, to change us, and yes, so that we will be a visible witness to the lost and the hurting and the hopeless in this world. There is no greater joy that we can have than be united with Christ abiding in Christ and laboring with Christ because that's how we were made. The God who knit us together in our mother's wombs designed us to have our most complete joy in Christ as we labor and sacrifice in this life. Allow me to, to summarize as I wrap things up. Christ said that Christians will be pruned by the Father. So every time we are pruned, we can put a notch in the I saw God do what he said he was going to do belt. Pruning is a confirmation that Christ did a work in us and we are currently being used to glorify God in this life as we are prepared to enjoy him in the next. We are pruned by the Holy God so that we can be more like him. God is removing us from the sin nature of our natural born self 
and transforming us into a closer representation of His holiness and perfection. And when we are pruned, those who are lost around us, those who are right now feeding off the poison of this world, also have a decision to make. They have to to decide how, how they will handle the visible witness of a Christian. They will be forced to ignore it, to reject it, or to confront it. All three are choices. They come through God, from God, through us, to the world for His glory here on this earth. When we are pruned because of our alignment with this world and we are redirected in a godly way, it points to Christ. What is our visible witness as Christians in this world? Are you a redeemed sinner, saved and sanctified by Christ for his glory and your eternal enjoyment, is that what the world sees when they look at you? On our own, we can do nothing. But when we are united with Christ, grafted into him, God can and will use us to grow us and to point others towards his grace and mercy. That is good fruit. It's not the only good fruit, but that is good fruit. When I started today, I said I had to get to verse 17 to properly understand verse 4 and the rest of this passage. And I said that because you cannot be united with, with Christ and refuse to love others without bringing a battle inside of you that is of cosmic proportions. The world hates God and, re- and has rejected him. The redeemed are on the narrow road walking towards being, being further sanctified in his promises and loving God more. The rejection of God and the love of God cannot exist in the same place at the same time without an epic battle taking place. When we attempt to hold on to the world and hold on to Christ with the same hand, We cannot live, enjoy, or act in love because a battle will be raging inside of us that we can't control and it will consume our heart and we will be in misery. When we are united with Christ in his death and we're raised to life in his resurrection, the eternal battle is won by Christ. We are placed on a worldly battlefield carrying the banner for Christ and through him we're promised victory. But we still have to fight. We have to fight the good fight. We have to labor. We have to strive. We have to learn. We have to grow. We have to sacrifice. We do that in tandem with Christ as he works on us. And we do that as we slam the door shut on sin and we walk away from the things of this world and we grab more tightly to the things of God. Today, are you abiding in his word and working towards a greater knowledge of him and his commands so that you can recognize his work in your life. I want to encourage you to do a spiritual health check. Do you have joy in your relationship with Christ? And are you loving others? They are are signs of the redeemed sinner through Christ's words. They're not the only signs and they're not guarantees of your salvation or of your depravity, but they are ways where you can look into your own life and see, how am I walking? Am I being faithful and obedient and am I growing as a Christian or am I negligent?
So I will close with this question. Are you passively ignoring, intentionally rejecting, or willfully submitting to God and His declared will for your life? Are you grafted into the true vine, or are you withering away? Heavenly Father, your word is truth, and we are sanctified in your truth. We are grown away from the world and towards your holiness and goodness when we understand what that is, and we cannot understand it if we don't read and we don't study and we don't pray, and it is not illuminated in us by your Spirit. Lord, we are entirely dependent on you, but yet we have responsibilities. Lord, help us see our dependence and the need for our own work, for our own walk. Help us to grow. We cannot grow on our own. Give us nourishment, Lord. Help us to cast off the things of this world and to desire you more. Help us, Lord, to have joy, to have love, and to have it through our relationship with you as we fulfill our purposes on this earth, praising you being sanctified, professing the gospel, living the gospel, being the visible example to others of the work that you have done in us. Lord, we are weak and needy, but we are blessed eternally. Lord, we love you for what you've done and we praise you for your word and we humbly ask that you would help us understand it and grow. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for what that represents for our salvation, for our hope. Lord, build up in us hope of eternity with you that we can walk farther and stronger and be more efficient for you in this life. Lord, we pray these things in his name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.